This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 59 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Scott King all about how to write faster. Scott wrote a book uh, in five days, and I don't just mean all of the writing, he did all of the outlining, all of the planning, all of the editing in five days. So this is a fascinating conversation. But first to last week's question, which was, what character, book or movie dialogue do you like best? Bobby Ann Atwood said, I enjoy the quirky, fun dialogue of the Stephanie Plum series by Janet Ivanovich, especially Grandma Mazur. So I haven't heard of this series. So that is definitely something I will go and look up uh, later on, uh, because there's nothing better than getting a good recommendation especially when somebody's loved like the dialogue or the characterization or the description or whatever. So thank you for that. Scott Kavanagh said, loved this episode. This is episode 58 with Jeff Elkins. Uh, Jeff is great to listen to. Although your point about being overwhelming about this being overwhelming for beginning writers is uh, hit me hard too. You've got to think about plot, dialogue, setting, tone, etc, etc. Meanwhile, there is me trying to figure out what the character is doing uh, with their fucking hands in a scene. My favourite book when it comes to dialogue has to be The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. The one-liners, put-downs and banter among the characters is hilarious. The TV show that comes to mind is Killing Eve. I love the dialogue between Eve and Constantine, uh, as well as Carolyn and her kids. I have to say, I am a like super mega fan of Villanelle and uh, Eve and the whole Killing Eve TV show. I absolutely love the characterization, the character interplay, the dialogue. It the the only thing is like it is quite a slow burn TV show and I typically like really high octane things. However, I think it is just the most exquisite depiction of a villain ever. Like it is spectacular. And um yeah, so if you have not watched Killing Eve, what are you even doing with your life? Go now and watch Killing Eve. It is spectacular. You're welcome. You can thank me later. Julie Westerfeld said, I love dialogue, the dialogue from Never, The Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. Each character has their own very distinguishable, distinguishable, oh my goodness me, I am struggling this morning. Each character has their very own distinguishable voice and the narration is almost monologue because the narrator is conscious, which is executed amazingly. Victoria L.K. Williams said, excellent episode. That's the Jeff one. I plan to listen again. I struggle with monomath, which is a great term. I cannot uh, claim to have made that term up. It was definitely Jay Thorne uh, who said it, but I agree. It is a fantastic term. Uh, she says, I struggle with monomath unless I'm paying close attention. I think we all do. Um, dialogue often gets relegated to like second third fourth drafts and that's fine like it doesn't matter when you edit the dialogue but um i think because it's one of those things that isn't done in a first draft it is obviously not as naturally um threaded through your story and therefore it's slightly harder to uh get right this week's question is is writing fast important or not in the current climate Okay, my book recommendation of the week this week is Dear Writer, Are You In Burnout by Becca Symes. So I had this book delivered uh, this week. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I have heard very good things about it. And I have been listening to and watching Becca on her quick cast on YouTube uh, talk about energy pennies, which I know is a concept covered in Dear Writer, Are You In Burnout. And I think that in the current climate, you know, I'm not just referencing, you know, the fact that lots of political things are going on at the moment. I'm also talking about, you know, the the global health crisis that's going on. You know, my friend said to me this week, the world is exhausting and I could not agree with her more. And I think that whether or not we have been pushing ourselves hard with work, a lot of us are going to be burned out just by existing in this year. This year has been 
something else and I am fucking tired. And if I am tired, you know, I have a very large plate generally and capacity to get shit done. Um, and if I am struggling, I know for fucking certain that other people are struggling. And I don't think we should hide away from that. I don't think we should, you know, not talk about it because I don't know why. I don't know if it's just being British, but there's always some kind of shame about being tired or, you know, needing to rest. And it's just, I call bullshit on it. And so, yes, that is my recommendation this week. Dear writer, are you in burnout? By Becca Syme. And I just, I encourage you to read it, even if you don't think you are in burnout, because it may be that you're not in a work burnout, but you might be in a life burnout. I don't know. I just know that my level of brain fuckery right now is not normal. Um, I had a day this week where I woke up and I just wanted to cry and I couldn't tell you why. There was no rhyme or reason. I said to my wife, you know, I just, all I want to do is cry. And my head was foggy and I was exhausted and I was really flat and low. And I, you know, I went through the whole, what is the point? Um, and I'm telling you this because, you know, sometimes I hear from people, you know, they don't think that I necessarily go through these things and I genuinely do. I am just like the rest of you. I'm like every single person listening. Um, I have these highs and lows and I want to tell you about them so that you know that they're real, even if you are, you know, writing full time or working for yourself full time. And, um, that day I managed to cut the end of my finger off. So it <laughs> tells you the, the kind of, um, you know, week that I, that I had. I basically wasn't paying a hundred percent attention and I had a brand new knife, uh, and it was really fucking sharp. So kids, don't play with knives because you end up cutting your finger off. And uh, basically, instead of cutting the potato, well, I did actually cut the potato very successfully. I just also happened to cut through my finger at the same time. And I sort of had to cut off the, the fat pudgy bit on your fingertip. And uh, it was sort of flapping off and there was a lot of blood and I was very close to passing out. I uh, went into my uh, partner's uh, office <laughs> And uh, she said that I, she, in the 12 years we've been together, she's never seen me so pale. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember saying it, but apparently I kept saying to her, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> she was like, where the fuck are you going? And uh, what I'd meant was that I was going to pass out, but I was so delirious with sort of, you know, having created a crime scene in the kitchen that uh, I didn't really know <laughs> what I was saying. So anyway, there is my fun story for you of the week. Uh, me being an absolute melon and uh, cutting, trying to cut ha half my fingertip off. Anyway, suffice to say, I am absolutely fine and um, hopefully you have seen on some kind of social media, because I have pasted it, but uh, the lovely nurses in the hospital gave me a very pale penis-shaped finger bandage. So uh, there's been lots of banter this week about the fact that the lesbian has a penis-shaped finger this week. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <clears throat> What else is in my personal update? Yes, I spoke at Janet Murray's content marketing conference this week and holy fucking shit. I have never been so humbled to have been asked to be a part of something. Janet's conference was out of this world. I have never seen production quality like that. I mean, it was exquisite that, you know, there was no detail she had left um, unthought of. Like that it was, I I mean, honestly, if you aspire to run digital conferences, you need to go and get a ticket to one of Janet's conferences just, because, just to see the level of um, professionalism and quality given and uh, to her, um, uh, attendees, you can actually still get a ticket even though the conference is over because they've got replays and stuff. I think, well, I think anyway, you have to go and check. Um, but 
I also learned so much so I stayed for the second day and it was fantastic. I learned so much about content marketing and my plan. I had, you know, they, you actually do some of the work in your in the sessions to plan your content marketing for next year. So I will definitely have to process and give you guys some lessons um, about that. What else? I have been working on NaNoWriMo. So I am writing uh, my next nonfiction book, which I didn't actually expect to do this year, but suffice to say I am. Uh, and the title of that book is, at the moment, it's it's tentatively 11 steps. Uh, that may change. I always reserve the right to uh, change that because it always changes with the structure anyway. But uh, the title is 11 Steps to Side Characters, How to Craft Supporting Roles with Intention, Purpose and Power. I am super excited about this book because it definitely feels like uh, the conclusion to all of the character books that I've written. Um, and it's great to pull some threads together and, you know, cover lots of new topics uh, that I haven't necessarily covered before. So, yes, I can't wait to share this with you. I will start talking about it more and telling you more about it, uh, you know, once I get closer to completion. Oh, and I have also booked in the cover for that bad boy too. So it is, it is full steam ahead for that. Uh, the other project that I'm supposed to be working on this month is Trey, uh, which is the third book in my young adult series. And I'm supposed to be editing that. And I am editing it, but it's going slower than I uh, would like because I'm also drafting. And <laughs> apparently splitting your brain 3,000 ways is quite hard, especially with the world fuckery that's going on right now. So yes, I, I'm, it's a bit slower than I want it, but um, I'm hoping if I can clear some of the admin and stuff off my plate, then uh, I might be able to get that uh, closer to completion. Alrighty, so Rebel of the Week this week is MJ Moores. MJ says, nearly my, in my whole life I've wanted to be a teacher. All through high school, I took courses I needed in order to fulfill this dream. Then I moved in with my father and his girlfriend in grade 11. And by grade 13, I was getting ready to apply to university for teaching when my father said, I'm not going to pay for you to become a teacher. Pick a new career. And that was the end of that. I didn't understand and there was nothing I could do. I picked broadcasting journalism only because I wanted to write, uh, but I hated current events. By the end of my first year of college, I was making top grades in most of my courses, not economics though, gah, uh, but all around me, my peers were so dedicated to having this be their career and many were struggling to make the grade. I was coasting and had absolutely no want to pursue this career. So I decided I'd work as well as go to school and I'd apply for university and be a teacher because that's what I wanted to do anyway. It was who I was. And I tell you, at 18, standing up to my father and telling him I was going to follow the career of my heart was the absolute hardest thing I ever did. I supply taught for 10 years, finally realised why my father didn't want me to be a teacher and left the profession to write slash edit when my son was born. Go figure. I still stood up to my dad though and that was huge. I totally agree. I think there is so much familial pressure, uh, you know, and expectations that whether we mean to or not to put them onto our children as parents, we do do that. And yeah, it is... It is extremely hard to stand up to somebody who you know loves and cares for you. So yeah, I love that um, rebellion. And if you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your stories. They can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. Please do send in your stories because as always, I start to run down and then I worry that I'm not gonna be able to have a rebel of the week. So if you have got a little story uh, nestling in your uh, consciousness, please do send it in. No new patrons this week, but as always, an enormously, enormously juicy, large, fat thank you from me to you, uh, to all my patrons. I say it every week because I mean it, <laughs> but you guys help to keep the podcast running and you also make me feel like what I do is worthwhile. Yeah, give me the warm squishies, guys. And for that, I love you deeply. And also, I just love the banter in our in our Slack group. And, and yeah, basically, you guys are awesome. And thank you all for your support. 
If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is brought to you by Pro Writing Aid. Pro Writing Aid is an editing software and... As you know, if you've been listening for a while, I think it is fan-fucking-tastic. I use it personally as both my last line of defence and also as a grammar checker, a style editor and a, a kind of writing mentor as well before I ship off my manuscript to my editor. Pro Writing Aid is about more than just finding grammar mistakes though. It helps you to learn good writing techniques. Writing Aid has over 20 different writing reports that make suggestions and then offer detailed explanations uh, about why they have given those suggestions. They also have videos and even quizzes to help you understand the reasoning behind the suggestions. Writing grammatically perfect can be great, obviously, but it can also feel awkward and clumsy. Pro Writing Aid searches out elements like repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence length variation, over-dependence on adverbs, passive voice, over-complicated sentence construction, and so much more. Now, of course, Pro Writing Aid will never replace a human editor, but that's not the point of it. It helps you self-edit to a deeper level so that when you do send off your manuscript to an editor, they will be able to focus on the meat of your writing and not spend their time fixing basic writing issues. Like to find out more about Pro Writing Aid? I will drop links in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Scott King. Scott is an international best-selling author. He was born in Washington DC and raised in Ocean City, Maryland. He received his undergraduate degree in film from Towson University and his MFA in film from American University. Until moving to follow his wife's career, King worked as a college professor teaching photography, digital arts and writing related classes. He now works full time as an author. King's nonfiction books are a way for him to give back uh, or sorry, to get back that feeling of teaching a class while his fiction books are his way of having fun. Welcome to the show. Howdy. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I was for the chaos at the beginning of the show, like <laughs> all of that will get edited out. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And just talk before we dive into it, talk me through uh, your background. Are they all graphic novels behind you? Uh, behind me, yes, those are graphic novels. And then which camera? Is it this camera? Yeah. Then I ha- no, it's this camera. Okay. So, and then I have graphic novels almost the ceiling. Then there's my books. And then over there, there's more of my books and then all the fiction books I have. Oh, wow. That is spectacular. So for listeners, uh, Scott has a gigantic sort of two-walled um, back-to-back uh, bookcase. Uh, for anyone uh, who has seen my, uh, on some of my lives, sort of in the similar vein to the book, the bookcase that I have behind me. Um, I love that you have so many graphic novels. I have read uh, a few graphic novels, but um, mostly I read fiction. But I like uh, uh, Kieran Gillen, Gillian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who writes the Wicked Divine and the Die mm-hmm. volumes. Yeah, I've loved those. But um, yeah, anyway, random tangent. So tell everyone a little bit more about you and your writing journey and how you got to where you are today. Uh, it probably all started, I guess, back in high school. They filmed a movie called Runaway Bride in my hometown. And at the time, I was a reporter for the high school paper. I managed to get into the special town meeting that was all production people and business owners. And I wasn't supposed to cover the article for the paper, but like I wanted to. So I used connections and got in. And when it was my chance to ask questions, everyone was like, because the media was like, you know, who's going to be in it? How much does it cost? And all that kind of stuff. My questions were like, well, our business is going to have to close. Is this going to impact school bus routes? And I was asking more about how was the movie filming process going to affect or impact the community. Mm-hmm. The next day, my principal got a phone call and they wanted to hire me. And I got hired to work on the movie as a PA. I worked with locations. Uh, I was basically the go-between for all the local businesses and the movie people. No and, way. And that was kind of like my window into, oh, this is how movies are made. So I worked on Ronnie Bride. And then I worked on Tuck Everlasting when I was in high school. I went to college for film, worked on a bunch of other movies as PA. And the big plan was to move to LA. Um, My dad got sick and it was one of those things where it's like, well, what do you do? 
And I did the thing where I moved home and took care of him and all that kind of stuff. And at that point, it was just, it was just a hard choice because what do you do? And, and I kind of got into comics and writing graphic novels and I had a few published, but as much as I love comics and I love still reading comics, comics are a lot of work and drawing mm. takes a really, really long time. And I quickly realized that I could write a book in a short amount of time and it can be published really, really quick. Like we're talking, you know, a month, most turnaround for not just the writing, but, you know, getting the covers, setting up the launch and that kind of stuff versus a graphic novel, which could take one to two years easy because you're working with not just the script, but then you have someone doing pencils, someone doing inks, someone doing colors, and then you have to print, which takes forever. And it's just a long, long process. So I kind of stumbled into writing novels just because movies were taken away from me and then comics just took too long and, and novels were like, hey, I can make this work and I kind of enjoy it. That's amazing. So did you do the drawing as well for the graphic novels or mm. were you scripting for them? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I, I did the script and so my scripts, because there's not a, a set way these things are done in graphic novels or even mm. comics. It's kind of like whatever the publisher or the team or, has worked out. For me, my script breakdowns are like, I guess very almost like screenplay like. So it's like panel one, this happens and here's the dialogue. Panel two, this happens and here's the dialogue. So that way my artist had a very clear description of like, okay, the frame is gonna be like this, this character is making this expression or whatever. And then took it from there. I love that. I, I, I would love to get like a behind the scenes in the, I know some of the graphic novels do have like early drawings and stuff that the, in the mm -hmm. backs and like some of that stuff, but I find the whole, yeah, like the process of creation really interesting. Um, especially because it's like a marriage of it's like a collaboration because it's a marriage of whatever is in the um writer's like head plus trying to actually put that into a visual medium so yeah i find it very um interesting okay so we're here to talk about you 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 sort of alluded to the fact there that writing books are a lot a lot faster and and i sort of raised an eyebrow because <laughs> not sure that's been my personal experience <laughs> but uh yeah we are here to talk about writing fast you wrote a whole book in five days um and you also have a a non-fiction book called the five-day novel so like first up what the fuck and <laughs> secondly tell me all your secrets um because yeah like how how did you do that how do I do it? You just kind of do it. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's more about making sure that everything going on in your life is, is stable so that it allows you the time to focus and get the writing done. It seems to be that, I mean, I've been in self-publishing for gosh, I guess like seven years now. So I, I've met a lot of people. I even have now a lot of friends that are traditionally published mm -hmm. and, and it seems very consistent across the board that if you want to write, you kind of have to have all the other distractions out of the way so you can write. And, and sometimes they're silly things. Sometimes it's like laundry, grocery shopping, cooking. Sometimes they're big things like, like health or another job you need to have to pay the bills. But if you want to write, you just have to make the writing and priorities and juggle all the other chaos so you can actually do the writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and distractions are like in this day and age, horrendous and I think that our whole life is to distractions and notifications and and emails and I think individually each of us has a different set of distractions like not just I don't mean that just physically a different set of distractions but even like mentally for example emails are a huge distraction for me I find I find having an inbox of over you know like 50 is is mental pressure and that then becomes a distraction and a feeling that I should be doing that rather than writing whereas realistically I should always be writing I shouldn't fuck the emails you know but um yeah so I find that really interesting um okay so you talk about mindset um in terms of being able to write quickly so what do you think are the most important mindset factors in being able to write fast the the most important thing is like we just said is you first you need to clear out all the other chaos in your life so you can make writing a priority the next step is probably you need to make sure this is something you actually want because if you're going to to make it a priority make sure you really want it and not just one of those things you you fantasize about because how many people have you met who are like, hey, I really want to do this thing and I really want to write versus the people who actually are out there doing the writing. 
And so much of writing fast is romanticized in our community. But guess what? It's okay sometimes if you don't. If you can only put down 500 words a day, you can still finish a book by the end of the year. And yeah. if you are lucky enough to have a lifestyle where you can write more, it just means that you're going to write faster if possible. But, but the goal at the end of the day is to write and put words on the page. And it's okay if you can't do that at a faster pace. It's, it's figuring out what works for you and your lifestyle. And just, yeah, just make it a priority. Make sure that, that you want this, that you were doing this and know that there are limitations on the life you have. And it's okay if you can't do more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I do feel like certainly in the last maybe two or three years, being able to write a book a month is like the thing. And if you can't do that, then like almost like you failed, which is utterly ridiculous because yeah. for every 12 book a year author, I know that's earning a hundred grand a year or whatever, six figures, I know exactly the same amount of authors who are doing one or two or three books a year and still earning a hundred mm -hmm. grand a year and and I think that is the beauty of this industry is that there is no there is no one path to being a full-time author or you know yeah so I, I I completely um agree what mistakes do you see writers making when trying to write fast I think people put a lot of pressure on getting the writing done fast is 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 that itself is the problem um it's it's they think they have to get this thing done it has to get done this time if they don't get it done this time they're a failure just like 15 minutes ago before we got on i saw someone in the facebook group was saying that they felt really guilty because they didn't write at all yesterday and that you know they were crying last night as they were going to bed because they realized they they just didn't write and it's like come on this is 2020 like like cut yourself some slack self-care is important too if you aren't in a in a proper emotional state in a proper mental state how, how are you going to write because you can't you have too much going on that you aren't able to focus you aren't able to to go literally into another world or into other characters heads and it's okay if you take a day off. It's okay if you take a week off. So the first thing you have to do is just make sure you give yourself permission to, to adjust and be flexible and take care of yourself. Because if you aren't taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to write. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I, so I love that for so many reasons. And Elizabeth Gilbert says this thing. Um, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert. She says that she never wants her words to have to pay the bills mm -hmm. and you know uh, when you become an indie author you you get in this very interesting state where creatively uh, you then must be creative and that's really difficult and it's a lot of pressure and I was talking to one of my friends funny enough last night and uh, so my business is like multifaceted so I have non-fiction and mm -hmm. I have fiction and my nonfiction, you know, I have courses, I do consulting, I do speaking. So my and my nonfiction is is my primary business. My nonfiction pays my mortgage, it pays my bills. But what that does is it frees me up to write the fiction that I want at the pace that I want. And, and I would like to write my fiction faster. I would like to write it faster than I'm writing it. But also, I know that I, I don't want to write a book a month because I don't I just I think I'd burn out really fast. I'd, I'd like to write like three, <laughs> you know, and I'm not doing that. So I know I want to write faster, but yeah, I think you have to get to grips with what you actually want and what your motivations are. And I know that I think I would feel too much pressure if I had to rely solely on fictional words, but yeah, that doesn't mean I don't want them to earn. I still need them to earn. I still want them to earn, but just, I don't want the pressure. Genre probably plays, plays a big part in that too, because you figure, you know, I cranked out a political thriller set in modern day in five days, but that's because it was with locations that I, I grew up with and knew very well. It was set in a political climate I knew very well. It, it was all things that, that were very easy to create and put on the page mm. versus when I wrote my first book, my epic fantasy, even when I wrote book two, they both took either five or six months, but that's talking 50,000 word novel versus 200,000 word novel. So mm what you're writing is also going to impact how long it's going to take you to write it because of the amount of work it takes to put it on the page. Yeah. And do you think even not necessarily genre, but just books? So like, for example, I've had books. So my first book, well, each draft 
probably only took four or five months, but to get mm -hmm. the, the first ever fictional book to publication took me five years. Then the second book I wrote, drafted, edited and published within six. You know, so the whole the whole process was done in six months. The third book, I started two years ago, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so like it is now done and, it, and I'm now editing it. And funny enough, I wrote the third and fourth book and both of them now will come out within a month of each other because the, th the fourth book was much shorter. It was a novella, but still it just vomited on the page. So I do wonder if there's actually like I know people think probably think I'm mad for saying that stories are sentient, but I swear like some stories just have an attitude problem and like don't want to get on the on the or they're overly complicated or whatever. So I find like sometimes I have a yeah, I have to pull stories, some stories more and some stories just come out on, on the page anyway. Right. What did you do to prepare, <clears throat> excuse me, for writing a book in such a short space of time? Part, part of the, the genesis for, for doing the five-day novel is I kind of just wanted to see if I could. And so I had certain rules. Like I wasn't allowed to outline ahead of time. I wasn't allowed to plan ahead of time. I wasn't allowed to do any kind of pre-writing or character creation. I wanted to go from complete concept to finished polished draft in five days. So I because I couldn't do pre-writing like you might do for like NaNoWriMo or just for any other project, I did the things we've already talked about. I made sure that everyone in my life knew what I was doing. So my friends knew not to bug me. My, my partner knew that, hey, this week I am not gonna be around. I am going to write, shower, do some exercising so I move and then die every night. And, <laughs> and so, so she was aware, she, she knew what to expect. She was willing to help out. So she stepped up with helping get meals ready and making sure that, that I was eating and doing things like that. Um, I did as much as fruit prep as I could before I did the writing so that we just pulled things out of the freezer or fridge and just reheated them as opposed to cooking. I made sure the house was clean. There was no laundry or things like that to do, that the grass was cut, that, that nothing would come and distract me just so I could just focus on, on doing the writing. I also made sure that I had a place that felt not really like a safe place, but just a, a, a distraction-free zone. Like this mm -hmm. is my writing spot. This is where I go to be in this mental mindset and I can focus and work while I'm in that one place which just helps separate because you know you're, you're an indie author you know what it's like to be at home it's like well I want to write but then I have these emails but then I got to deal with my Facebook ads and oh god the AMS ads are going crazy right now and oh I forgot to send that book bub application in and it's just it's always a lot going on at once so mm -hmm. at least for me it helps to say hey this is my writing place and this is where I do the publishing business work and, and that separation lets me focus a lot more when I'm doing the writing. So having that set up really helped me maximize the writing process. Do you have a different desk or a, like a different profile on your computer? Or like when you say the separation, is it just mental or is it physical as well? Pre-COVID, when I'm just doing my normal writing, not like five days writing, but just normal writing, I, I wake up in the morning. When my partner goes to work, I leave and go to the coffee shop. And then I'm there for three to four hours. I do the writing, I come home. And then it's like, oh, now I can do all the other work things. Yeah. Uh, now that's not possible. So what I've done in the past year is I set up my laptop. I have a really big desk. So I set my laptop on the other side of the desk or I go to the dining room and that's my, my area where I work. And I kind of pretend I'm in a coffee shop. I know that's mm -hmm. really dorky, but hey, it lets me write. And Whatever you can do to help you write and write more, it's okay, even if it's embarrassing. There's, yeah, there's no I, shame in writing. No, there is not. I even have gone and sat in my car, parked <laughs> on my drive, just because I needed silence. And I was just I, like, I'm out. Peace out, guys. I'm out for an hour. Like, deal. you can you can deal with yourselves. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You got to do what you have to do to be able to write. And, and that's what we were talking about earlier when I said you need to make writing a priority. That's the kind of thing. You need it that hour or whatever amount of time to sit and focus. And you had to take the extra step of going to your car just so you can have that. And, and that's what it means to be a writer. It's making the writing a priority. Absolutely, I could not agree with you more. Um, all right, so for those people that struggle with outlining, uh, what advice do you have to help them build more structure in advance of starting? So like, um, yeah, okay, let's start there and then I'll ask you a secondary question. Um, I would say that there's a lot of 
online disagreement, even in person, I guess, too, because I've gone to conference where people debate whether are you a pantser or an outliner, and that most people I know aren't the extremes of one or the other. They're somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And even if you are normally maybe more pantsy, that sometimes you might have a project that comes along where you end up more outlining, and that's okay. There is no right set hard way to write. It's whatever works best for you. So when people are talking about outlining and how to outline and how to better outline, I think the first thing you have to acknowledge is what do you need as a writer to be able to tell the story you want to tell? And so like, if we're talking about the five-day novel, the whole purpose of the book isn't to tell, teach the reader how to write a book in five days. It's saying, hey, this is what I did and the steps I took to write one in five days. Take these things, apply it to your life where they're going to work and just maximize your own process to however it fits. So in my other book, Outline Your Novel, I'm not saying, hey, this is the one set solid way to do an outline. It's like, hey, these are all the tools you can use to do an outline. For whatever project you're working on, pick the ones you want and apply them as needed. And don't feel pressured that you have to do it this way because that's never going to work because writers are different. We all think different. We all have different lives. And just make sure that you are using a process that works for you and what you're trying to achieve. When going into actually outlining, you have to know a few things. So one of the, the things I, I used to do when working with students is something I called a story pitch. And I have a whole separate book about story pitch, but it's, it's covered in Outline Your Novel. So if you pick up that, it, it's fine to read there. But basically I had students and, and students, they struggle, especially when they're trying to write something for the first time, whether it's a, a novel or a screenplay. And it's, to them, it's a big daunting task because they've never done it. They've never tried to put that many words on the page or to have a story connect or characters interact. And it is huge and daunting. And so if they put the work in, realize a quarter of the way that they really, really screwed up and that it's gonna take major rewrites, they give up. And it takes the most hardcore student to push through at that point. So I, I developed a thing called a story pitch where basically they pitched me the story before they write with a lot of the key elements, you know, things like, what genre is it? What's the protagonist? What's the protagonist want? Uh, you know, what's the thing getting in their way? What is the character arc? What is the structure going to be? All those kind of things kind of wrapped into a, a basic two to three sentence pitch. And, and having them pitch it to me was just a way to kind of test and make sure they thought more about the story they wanted to tell. It's not like, hey, you have to have these things to achieve what you want. It's more like just the process of thinking ahead was able to get them started enough. So I always tell people to start with a, a very simple core pitch. And then if you need more before you start writing, then maybe you move on to doing a beat sheet where you start looking more at the structure and those kind of things. If you want more from there, then maybe you can do a sequence outline. If you still need more, then maybe you can do a scene list. If you still need more, then maybe you need a, a full scene outline with what characters in each scene and what's the structure of each scene. Do I do those for every book I write? No. I, I almost never do a full scene outline, but these are tools that sometimes you hit a problem when you're a writer that if you can pull them out when needed, they do work. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I tend to have this uh, irritation, irritating process because I, I, I'm definitely one of those writers that's somewhere in the middle. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm definitely able to do some outlining, okay. but then I hit this point where I'm like, I don't know anything else. <laughs> and and there are these giant blank holes now i do know core things at this point so i know you know the ending i almost always write the ending first mm -hmm. and then i go back and write the beginning and then i rewrite the beginning eight times until it's right um and and i'll know you know the flaw and the big conflict and i'll know like maybe five very key scenes scattered throughout the book but i can't ever get this you know you know how you do like uh, the inciting incident the plot twist all of this stuff you have like the 20 points in the story outline I can never get all of those before I start so for authors who draw blanks when trying to outline but have done I guess some part or at least attempted to do an outline what tips do you have to to help them find fill the holes like how do how do you fill the blanks before you start from, from what I've seen with a lot of writers is that a lot of people who struggle with filling the blanks ahead of time, it means that they just don't know their characters or the world well enough 
to be able to fill the blanks. And that a lot of times those type of writers need to, to actually write, get into the characters' heads before they know them and understand them enough to be able to fill those blanks. And so if you are one of those authors, it's okay if that's what you're doing. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. You're still writing, you know, it, it, it's all right. If you still want to, you're really pushing hard and an outline is important to you, try to maybe do some pre-writing. So maybe you do like, I don't know, a, a short story with one of the main characters. And, and the point of the story is that you're trying to get into the character's head. You're trying to get to know them. Maybe you're trying to set some backstory. Plus you're creating content you can use for an email signup list or something like that. So you're not just writing to, to waste the words. You're actually writing with a purpose, but it also helps you explore the content and explore the characters. And if you do, there's a good chance you're going to start to understand who these people are better, which will then allow you to fill in those blanks before you're writing the full thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had never, uh, and that's definitely me. So I definitely explore <laughs> the characters on the page, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. Like I know, you know, I know their, their wound, their flaws, their strengths, you know, I know like I create word bags. So I know, uh, you know, about their dialogue and stuff, but I don't know them until I see them react in a scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's so true. I'd never really thought about it like that. So yeah, I love that you've given everybody and me permission to just fucking write. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> but the, the only wrong way to write is just to never write and not write at all. So, so again, do what works best for you. Okay. So, um, in, uh, your book, you talk about, uh, writing when, when somebody's writing fast and they hit a problem and that some problems you should fix and some problems you should leave. So can you talk a little bit about, um, stumbling blocks and how to deal with them when you're trying to write really fast? My, my, my advice normally, if you hit a problem when you're writing and problems are gonna come out because you can't pre-plan everything. Uh, sometimes you're gonna to get to know your characters better and your characters are gonna be jerks and they're gonna do something completely different. And you realize, well, crap, that, that makes sense. And, and that's better than what I had planned. And now I had to do this thing. And now I'm way off outline, what do I do? My advice in those situations is just keep moving forward and pretend you fix those things. Pretend that you went and rewrote and made those tweaks and just, just keep going. And, and the reason I suggest that is because momentum matters mm. and you can get in a very vicious loop of going back and fixing things and fixing things and fixing things and never going forward again. Um, that happens more with new writers, I feel, than more experienced. There are experienced authors who they hit a problem and they are okay going back and not losing momentum by fixing things. But a lot of people who are new to writing, they, they just, just repeat over and over again and never go forward. And I saw that with my students even. And it was like, no, 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 new rule. No rewrites until you get the first draft done. Oh, I love that advice so much because I um, I don't think I've ever realized that that's what I'm doing when I write. But uh, for me, it's all about getting to the end of that first draft because mm -hmm. I find drafting the hardest bit, everything else that comes after draft, for me personally anyway, everything that comes after drafting is easy. So I, I take that almost to an extreme level uh, because I don't write chronologically. So mm. I if I hit a point where I'm like, I don't know what comes next, but I know what happens three chapters down the line, I go and write three chapters down the line because I'm keeping, yeah. going, keeping the pace and I'm keeping the mm -hmm. momentum. So for me, like I'm like, anything, any trick in the book that I can pull on myself in order to keep getting words down. So yeah, like I, I love that. I, I, and I, I hadn't really thought about it about keeping momentum, but that is so, so very, very true. Um, okay. So talk to me about your process then in terms of you've got an idea. How do you go from idea to um, a flesh enough out, out outline? This is great English, Sasha, um, that you can start writing. Uh, so I start with a story pitch and, and from the story pitch alone, I'm going to know a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll know all the key elements. And, and from there, it's more about making then the decision of what kind of structure am I going to use for this? So although because I have the movie background and I am very pro like traditional movie structure, I don't think that's the only way to tell a story and it is okay to tell different kinds of stories. And it is even okay to, to use some of the beats that are used in movie structure and then not use all of the beats. Um, there's, there's a lot of novels even where you have the main protagonist and there is no arc for the protagonist because 
it's one of those kind of situations where the protagonist more creates arcs in other characters. And you mm-hmm. see that with Hunger really Games long. Is a good... Yeah. Hunger Games is a great example of that. And, and really even like long running series. So like Pendergast, Stephanie Plum or, or places like that where the books are like 10 to 20 long in a series, you'll see more and more of the situations where the protagonist creates and is a catalyst for change in other characters. And that is okay to do in novels. You almost never see that in movies because that's just not how movies work they feel a lot of times unsatisfying if that doesn't happen that way except so, maybe james bond except james bond <laughs> who's like the exception to everything <laughs> this is just you know like absolutely but, but it, you, you say that but, but how many james bond movies have been out that's almost like the equivalent of a long-running novel series yeah 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 so so just figure out you know what kind of structure you want apply that to the basic premise you have. And then right there, you should have a, a clear synopsis of at least the beginning, the middle, the end, key points that happen. Like, you know, what are the really bad things that are gonna happen? What, you know, when you get to end of act two, is there a big breakup? Is there, is there a death? Is, is, you know, what's the big bad thing, the rock bottom? And once you know those points, it's really easy to start filling in the gaps between them. Okay, I'm gonna throw um, you one last question, which I didn't okay. prepare you for. Um, before I ask the ultimate question on this show, mm-hmm. but what have you taken or what have you learned from your time in film and in movie that you have brought into your novel writing? Oh boy. Uh, I would say that the, the biggest thing I learned is that I can write, which I know it sounds weird, but I've always loved reading, but I'm dyslexic. And so mm-hmm. I never thought I could be an author. I think working in the film industry and then, and then dabbling in the, the comics taught me that even as someone who is dyslexic, I can still tell stories. It just means I might have more beta readers and proofreaders and, and pay my editors really well than someone else, but, but that I am still capable of it. And I think that's probably a lesson that a lot of people can take even if you're not talking about being dyslexic, a lot of people maybe have something they really want to tell and something they really want to write and don't think they're good enough. But if that person never takes the time to write that thing that is important, it'll never get written. Mm. And so the most important thing I learned from, from the other industries is that just, just write, just tell the story you want to tell and it is okay if it's not good or perfect or if it is flawed or if 10 years down the road, you're, you're a way better writer because it's all a journey. There, there is no perfect author. There is no one who can put prose to the page and it is just magically beautiful and, and wonderful. It takes work. Writing is work. And it's all right. Yeah, oh, I love that so much. And, and that's a concept, the, the journey and having books out there that are not the best books uh, from my, you know, my, my first fiction book is not my best fiction work. Um, but I'm trying to embrace that and the fact that I have physical, tangible things that actually show my journey, you know, and I will be able to, when I uh, write my next book, I, I know I've developed my prose in particular, but, you know, so much that you will be able to see a physical difference in these things that we have created and that we can hold. And yeah, I think it's wonderful that we are putting things into the world that, you know, show that anybody can do this and anybody can get better if you just, you know, stay consistent. So yeah, I love that. What a lovely message to to end the show on. We are both in a story bundle together for National Novel Writing Month. So um, I, I've probably spoken about it before, but would you like to just give your slant on the story bundle and tell everyone like where they can find it and why they might maybe want to download it? I don't know the link off the top of my head, but your fancy podcast story, I'm sure has one bundle. in the description. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Story bundle slash nano. <laughs> Story bundle slash nano is where you want to go. And if you go there, there's a whole bunch of books. I think it's like $150 uh, worth of books, plus a class, all for the low, low price of $20. Uh, my book, Five Day Novel, is there. I think you have two books there, don't you? I do. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I don't quite know how that happened, but I have the um, heroes book and the villains book. I think it's because Kevin uh, liked the fact it was like a combo of like, yeah. you know, the two flip sides. So. Um, yeah, so you guys ought to uh, go and download it and go and find out more about it and find out more about Scott's book and you. And even if you're not doing nano, there's still a, a great bundle of books that cover a variety of topics that it's worth checking out. 
Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And also the class, which is super relevant for uh, right now, because it talks about um, keeping a business running in shitstorms like 2020. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, go go and check it out. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. All right, so I'm gonna mention not necessarily a, a specific time, but more like a time where I learned it was okay that it's okay to be a rebel. So I grew up with a, a sick parent. Um, my dad was sick chronically all through through high school. He got really bad when I was in college, which meant tons and tons of hospital trips, uh, whether it's calling 911, whether it was Christmas in ICU units and things like that. So I, I was just always around hospitals. And when you're around a hospital a lot, there are certain rules and people are normally very, very respectful to those rules. But when you're in a hospital that much, sometimes the rules are just ridiculous. Uh, things like, you know, your dad might die tonight. You're not allowed to be in there because it's past visiting hours. So, so I learned at a very young age that when you're in a hospital, if you just walk around like you know where you're supposed to be or where you're going, people leave you alone, even if it's against like visiting hours and things like that. So I would say that that, that time span in my life taught me that if you just act like you know what you're doing and just present, people leave you alone. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love that story. And I'm going to tell you why I love that story. Okay. So um, I have a wife and uh, we have a child. And after I gave birth, um, they asked my wife to leave. And they said, this is a unit for mums only. And oh. she was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, uh, no, but this is this is a unit for mums. And she was like, yes, I'm a mother. And they were like, oh, uh, uh, okay. And then we just, and I was like, one, oh my God, I can't believe they said that to her. And number two, like, good for her because absolutely mm -hmm. she was a mum. Damn straight she was, she should have been able to stay because, you yeah. know, that was the, 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 the um, point. So yeah, I love that she just behaved exactly as if, you know, she knew exactly what she was doing. She was in charge and, and they just gave way and too right too. So I love that. I love that story. And I love that that reminded me of that, you know, like girl power moment as well. So thank you for that. Okay, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books and I, I guess like your graphic novels as well and all that good yeah, stuff. So, so uh, on social media, I am at Scott King on Twitter. On Instagram, I am King Scott King. On Amazon, you can just go to my Amazon page and see all my books. Uh, that includes the graphic novels, it includes the fiction, it includes the nonfiction. Uh, then there's my website, www.scottking.info and, and all that is there with links to all the places. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. And thank you also to all of the show's listeners. And of course, a big thank you to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting uh, patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Scott King, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. I'll be speaking to Michelle Summers all about how to craft the perfect synopsis. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Music.